This is all about, this is all about politics in one sense. Uh, who is Jesus? Political collapses are, are so sad. Scandals. Right? We read about them all over. If you are into politics, you are, you just see that all the time. Even throughout all of history, we see this. I think of one of them, an old man, powerful at one point, and so much so that pop culture sung songs, made up songs, this powerful man. But as he ages, we see him tended by a beautiful young lady, um, not for any sensual reason, but because he is so weak that he can't care for himself. And, and they have to, to bring her there to, to make him warm. He's a wreck. Life has wrecked him. He has gone from power to weakness. Imagine if Hunter Biden this week rose up and tried to kill President Biden and take his place. Well, that would be on the front pages. This shell of a king experienced that. One of his sons rose up against him and openly, in front of all the kingdom, Absalom slept with his polygamous wives to show that David no longer loved him. The kingdom is torn from him. Civil unrest, civil war. On his deathbed, he has to be warned by a young lady as his wife comes to beg for him to intercede on behalf of young Solomon. Who is that? King David! Right? The, this, this king of Israel?
prophets, priests, kings, who aren't good enough. They, they, they bring the people of God to a certain point, and the people of God say, that's not going to help us. We, these people aren't going to help us. No human is going to rescue you today from our greatest trouble. No human is going to rescue the world today from its greatest trouble. In fact, whenever you see people usurp power, you see them become corrupt. We see that all over the world. There's wars all over the world today because power corrupts. And people are corrupted by that power. And so all of these stories, you read the Old Testament, this is all preparation for the gospel of Christ. To tell you, you try to find a prophet, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, no avail. You try to find a king, you have all these history books, no avail. You try to find a priest, look at the priesthood, no avail. You need something more. It's all preparation for the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. In the Old Testament, the Tanakh ends with this curse. And we wait for someone who will fulfill our need as a perfect prophet, a perfect priest, and a perfect king. And so we have these first 37 books. You look at your Bible, right? 37 books here about all this failure of leadership. And, and the Bible shows all their flawed character. And they're all showing us that we need something more. We need something greater. We need God to come and help us. And then you turn to Mark 1, you have the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. And you have this annunciation of this good news. And that's what your first four books of your New Testament are all about, right? The annunciation, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've surveyed that together here over the last 14 weeks. But we find in them, and I think in our text today from Matthew 21, really a pointing to Jesus in these three offices that really encourage us and give us hope. You do have a perfect priest, a perfect prophet, and specifically, we're going to give more attention to that personally, a perfect king. A perfect king who today will lead you forward in your spiritual life, not just in this life, but in the next. So let's look there at that concept of king. And I, I, what I like about this, uh, we are, we just get over here. Um, I think the, the final week of Jesus' life fits into that outline nicely, okay? So we've been looking at this together, right? Jesus' birth, 12 years old, we saw him as a preparation for the gospel of Christ. And then you have this, much silence. John the Baptist comes on the scene and from 26 AD to 29 AD there's this growing popularity but we found is this last week, this last year of Jesus' life um, from the Feast of Passover to the Feast of Passover is really what a lot of the New Testament or those four Gospels are all about. As his growth in popularity declines in the sense of less people are following him and, and he still has the crowds, he still has the teaching, he still has the healing, but people are listening to his message now of a cross. And they're not so sure about that. 
Right, so we go to that last year, and we zoom in now on the last week of Jesus' life. And then I think it really does, it can fit here as these three main headings, okay? So Saturday, Sunday, we can find Jesus as the perfect king. And that's this Palm Sunday as they recognize his kingship. And I have a little less time given to this just because we don't have the time for it. But Monday and Tuesday, Jesus gives some, some strong prophetic pronunciations and pictures and appeals for the last time for all of Israel to believe in him. And so he's the perfect prophet. And then, of course, uh, Thursday and Friday, you see him offering himself up to make us right with God as the perfect priest. We're going to sink into today that, that uh, Palm Sunday, the perfect, perfect king. Let's look at our text here. Uh, so, palms and praise. Did you bring? I saw little Jeannie brought her palm tree today. That's great. Right? Palms and praise. Israel receives the perfect king. Son of David. So we find first of all Jesus, the perfect king, the son of David. It's a royal place that points to Jesus as king. What is the place, first one, when they approach where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of? Okay, but it's called the city of David. Yeah, the city of David. So they approach Jerusalem, this city that David founded and brought into Judah's capital city for his life, and really to this point, it's a center of uh, not just Judaism, but everybody's fighting over that land. Uh, when they approach Jerusalem, come to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, another very holy place. There's this special place of kings, the place of kings. And in fact, if you read David's life, you remember that he cries on the Mount of Olives as he's being expelled by his son Absalom. Same mountain where Jesus cries because he's being forsaken in one sense from his father. They approach Jerusalem. Okay, so let's just look at that real quick here. This would be going, as I've mentioned, Jesus from Jericho. As they take this 17-mile trek to the Mount of Olives, Bethany and Jerusalem, they climb over 3,000 feet. This is quite a trek. All along the way, you have all these pilgrims coming from Perea, this area, but also Galilee to the north, and it becomes a snowball. As you roll a snowball down the hill, it grows, and, and like there's all kinds of different accounts, but some would say 300,000, some would say millions are now gathering in the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area for this high, holy festival. And the following that Jesus begins in Jericho with Zacchaeus, he's no longer, he's no longer hiding his Messiahship. He's now proclaiming it. He's healing the blind people near Jerusalem. He's healing the lepers. And the people are starting to say, this is finally happening. This Jesus, who we thought might be Messiah, is really opening himself up as the Messiah. And he's entering Jerusalem. And he's raising Lazarus from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. And so Jesus' cross message is even starting to be received. And you have the people saying, let 
Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. This over here would be the Mount of Olives. So he's coming from the Mount of Olives into the city of David. Stops so along the hillside, right? Probably not Bethany, but uh, Bethany, he spends the night in Bethany, he comes into Jerusalem in the days, but a little village on the hillside of, of the Mount of Olives there. And, uh, and he says, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to get a couple donkeys. So he, he gives uh, this, uh, this command. Two of his disciples, probably Peter and John, not sure, maybe Peter and John. And he says to them, go to this village opposite you. And just keep flying. There's so many details that are, that are, that are just fun to dive into. But, um, go to this village opposite you. You're going to find a donkey tied there. And a colt with her. There's this donkey and then the donkey's calf. Yeah, the donkey's kid. Um, and, and you're going to find those, those two. I want you to untie them and bring them. Well, you know, if your boss told you to do that, what would you think? Even if your boss told you to go to the bagel store and pick up 12 bagels, they're going to be sitting on the counter. Like, okay, but well, I can't. Like, what's going on here? Do you know something I don't know? Yes, he did. He knew what was going on. He knew there were some donkeys there. And he says for them to go and get the donkeys and bring them back. Immediately, you'll find the donkeys and come. And he says, this is why the Lord has need of them. Here's the, one of the first times Jesus opens up the fact that, that he is not just son of man is the Lord. And actually from here on, through Acts and Epistles, you find people not referring to Jesus as Jesus, but as the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus the Messiah. The Lord has need of him. And then he says, this took place. Why? Because of what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, a foal of peace of earth. Anybody know what book of the Bible that's from? Zechariah, good! Okay, two stars, you ever said that? From Zechariah, this is one of seven, from here on to the end of Matthew, seven quotations from the book of Zechariah. This one is, it's key. Uh, Zechariah 9, you can turn over there, it's just a few pages. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout and triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. It's interesting, it goes on to more of a kingly description in Zechariah. He is just and endowed over, clothed with salvation. Also humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt the foal of the donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the horse from Jerusalem, the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to shining sea, so it's from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. At Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. And Matthew's going to pick up on that. But before that, who picks up on it? Jesus does. And he's saying, there are scriptures 
that talk about your Messiah not being just the mighty warrior coming in with tanks, but coming in peace. And not just peace for Israel, but peace for the whole United Nations. This is what Jesus is claiming. Jesus is saying, this donkey is so important because this is talking about saying, you read your Bible, Zechariah 9-9, that is talking about me, and I'm going to fill it today in your eyes. They knew their Bible. They knew what Jesus was doing. And so there are this, this little village on the opposite side of the, 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 the uh, Mount Olives, and you, if you could see them, you started to get ready. Peter, James, and John are so excited. I can't imagine Simon is up. Like, he has been waiting for this moment his whole life. Finally, let's overthrow Rome. And, and Jesus is going to do it. He is the promised king. They're getting a little bit off. We're going to get to that. But, but let's, so they just, they just start decking this donkey out. Right? They put their coats on it just like you would for royalty. Right? They, they don't, they don't, they're not able to dress it just like a kingly steed, but at least we can make it look a little royal. So 500 years ago, this verse was written. 500 years later, Jesus, over 500 years, Jesus is portraying it to them. He starts to walk on this peaceful piece of burden. He's signaling something there. But Zachariah is signaling something there. How would this be received? Look at the response. This is amazing. They spoke to them just as Jesus told them, and he gave them the permission. They brought the colt to Jesus, put their coats on it, he sat on it. And, and you could see him along the old Jericho road, coming up to Jerusalem. The crowd rose. And we're talking thousands of people. We're not talking to 12 disciples here. We're talking crowds and crowds, Matthew says. And, and the hillside is just packed with people. How are they going to respond to this amazing gesture from this Messiah claimer? He is coming into Zion, the city of David, claiming to be the king according to Zechariah 9. What would his reception be? They pick up on it. They say, he is claiming that he's the Messiah. We are ready to take up our cross and follow him. Down with Rome is what they're saying as they get behind that donkey. Down with Pilate. Down with all the tradition of the past. Let's follow Jesus. And the crowd swell grows to its greatest point as they start crying out, Save them. And they quote another passage that they would often be quoting at that time period. Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Save us. Deliver us. Messiah, Jesus, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. Our Father David, again, tying to Jesus as King. Save us in the highest. They cried out for this great King to save them. It's interesting, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and, and it's, it's a little interesting to know, perhaps there's an idea there that some of the crowd is not joining them. But, but I think Matthew's saying most of the crowd spread their coats through it, others start cutting down branches. Verse 8. Right? Some, some are just like, let's not 
John mentions palm branches. I'm sure they're doing that. They're waving this flag, like this, this Israeli flag, these palm branches saying, down with everyone else, Messiah has come to rule the world, throwing leaves, throwing branches, throwing coats in the road. I mean, this is an amazing reception. The chat begins, the chat rises, the whole crowd is sick. Can you hear Jerusalem resounding with the praise of Messiah? I don't know who started the chant. Maybe he was a little guy knowing his songs, saying this is the Messiah. Maybe we'll meet him in heaven. But the crowd takes it over and everyone starts crying out, blessed is he who comes, blessed is Messiah. Hosanna, save now. And what do they think he's going to do? They really think he's going to go in and throw down the statue of King George in downtown. And that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, revolution! How dangerous is that? And so we can just, just take a moment here and just, we're, we're not going to go ahead and throw all the text here. It's okay. All right, we'll just have to stop halfway through. But, um, what, what, are they, what is Jesus saying and what are they saying? They are siding with a revolt, with a revolution. They are signing their death warrant here as they follow Jesus into Jerusalem. No doubt other people are like, I'm not doing that. And then they get away from there. But this crowd keeps growing. Well, take up your cross and I'm ready to follow Messiah. This is Jesus. He is the Messiah. But they don't know everything. But they're at least ready to follow him. And if that means I'm going to shed my blood in Jerusalem streets, to be done with this Roman occupation already. How fickle the same crowd in just a moment, just a few moments, is going to cry out, crucify the same one. But right now, they're caught up with the moment. They're ready to receive Messiah, the greater son of David. David broke God's laws. Jesus obeyed all of God's laws. Jesus does not betray one of his own to death to save his own reputation. Jesus becomes of no reputation to save through his own death. He does not live a warrior's life of blood shed for victory. He dies a lamb's death of shed blood for our victory. He heals, he does not harm. David's triumph is taking the head of the giant Goliath of Gath. Christ's triumph is taking the, the, the head of Satan himself, crushing it. David's reign extends for Judah, Israel's borders. Jesus' reign extends all the way from the Sea to Chinese Sea, where everywhere are queens all across the globe. We're worshiping Jesus here, fulfilling this prophecy. So, what is the crowd saying? The crowd saying is, This is the Son of David. We're ready to follow him. But what does Jesus say? He's saying, you kind of have it wrong. You want me to throw down Rome? I have a bigger enemy. The bigger enemy is you, your sin, your own self. You need salvation from yourself. You don't need to acknowledge me as king of Israel. You need to acknowledge me as king of your heart. And so we have the same preaching that he gave to them on the streets. Get into our hearts. His kingdom is that of our hearts. And so you and I bow to Jesus just like they did. And he comes in today, right into this room, right now, 
here, where I am there, where two or three are gathered, there I am. He's here. He's asking you the same thing he asked down the streets. Are you ready to value your heart? So Zechariah's prophecy becomes known that God did not first want the warrior riding on the white steed for military victory. He wanted the humble priest to offer himself as a sacrifice for all our sins. And so if you're taking notes, it's amazing. Psalm 118, they were crying out, save now, save now. The next verse says this, The Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords, the horns of the altar. They're wanting the first verse. They don't realize that it's going to take that second verse. Sacrifice is going to be bound with iron nails to the altar offered up Verse 10, blessed is he who is coming in the name of the Lord. When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. That word is used of an earthquake. This is, this is monumental. This is earth-shattering, what Jesus is doing here. Israel wanted a king, and he is the perfect king. Because he is going to come and help us obey from the heart. And so our practical principle number one, which is probably all we're going to get to, that's a shame, but uh, practical principle number one, you need a perfect king because your heart is rebellious. I need a perfect king because my, I'm a rebel. I'm a rebel. I'm born a rebel, going my own way. And maybe a passive rebel where I realize if I rebel this, rebel this way, everybody's going to like me. Or maybe a very active rebel. If I go, I'm just going to Shove my fist in society. Either way, we're all rebels and we need a perfect king to come and change our heart. To give us the desire to obey him from our heart. And that's what Jesus does. I'm just going to read these. The priest, perfect prophet, comes next. Israel receives a perfect prophet. Verse 11, the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. Right? So they acknowledge him as his king. The reception of the prophet now. Jesus is perfect king, perfect prophet. You and I need a perfect prophet because Moses, Moses was not enough. In fact, he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Deuteronomy 18.15. You shall listen to him. And so Jesus comes. Elijah's not enough. Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. We need a perfect prophet.
priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David. See, there's the children. Well, that. Our kids are going to sing next week, right? It's going to be awesome. We're all singing. Children and love the children singing. Hosanna to the son of David. And they became what? Angry. What are they? What is he doing? His children are singing to him? And they become angry. You hear what the children are saying about you? They're telling you to save us? And Jesus said, Have you not read the Psalms? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have praise for yourself. I love also, he says, if they didn't sing, the rocks would cry out. If you continue to rebel, the, the earth is not going to, and these rocks are going to sing my praise. He starts to really clarify, I am, I am not just your Messiah, I'm your God. That's what you need. No hu mere human is enough. So you need a perfect priest to come and take your sins upon himself and die and bind himself to the altar, suffer and bleed out on a tree. The curse of the tree might be broken. Jesus is the perfect prophet, perfect priest, and perfect king. You and I need a perfect priest because our heart is simple. We need someone to stand in between. Do not go to any human to ask for forgiveness of sins of Jesus alone. Be alone. Christ alone. Grace alone. And so Jesus is claiming this. He brings us to God. And really the, the concluding point as he shows his power is that you can come to me now in prayer. This is what Lynn Wilder brought her out of Mormonism. And her sons and eventually, and her daughter, Amy, and eventually her husband, Michael. The chapter where she talks about his story, uh, it's entitled, Breaking the Pharisee. Here was a man trying to earn his salvation by works. And he saw how the Mormon church treated his son, and his son committed immorality. They kicked him out of the church. And they said, even though he was repentant, they said, you have to start earning your forgiveness. And once the church recognizes you've done enough, then you will be able to have your salvation. And he's, he's, he's reading his Bible, and then he's reading this, this preaching of Jesus that says there was this Pharisee who did everything right, never committed immorality. Did all this tithing, all this church attendance, and then there was this other one who looked in faith to God and said, propitiate for me. Let something bleed out in my place, because I sure can't find forgiveness in my words. And Jesus is going to say, who is righteous? The Pharisee? No. The sinner who acknowledged his need for forgiveness. And the thought about that, it stuck to him and stuck to him after years of fighting, seeing the change in his life, he comes to Christ for freedom and forgiveness. Christ has brought us there. He's brought us into the inner realm. 
heart so that albeit be done. Verse 18, now in the morning when he returned to the city and became hungry, seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except these only. And he said, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. The fig tree withered. The disciples were amazed. How did that fig tree wither? Right? And so there may be some picture there. This is where Jesus, this is the next day. Where he's, he's doing his prophecy, his little prophet. Maybe this is Israel, and he's coming to Israel and looking for fruit for repentance, and they're not bringing that. And so he's he's saying, "You don't repent, you'll all likewise perish." But that's not where where Jesus goes with his lesson to the disciples. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to them, "Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done in this fig tree, but even this mountain." You're going to say, get up and get out of here. You take it up and cast through the sea. It will happen. See the movie of the Sea of Galilee. I'm sorry, Mount Olives. Just be thrown into the Dead Sea. That will happen to you. Anything you ask in prayer will be in your So Jesus is showing us we now, through him, have a perfect priest. It can do all things. It's omnipotent. Perfect king. Allows us into his holy throne perfect prophet, lives inside us, spurs us forward through his spirit to obey. Heads bowed in nice clothes. Let's worship him today. Worship him as king. And, and what's really great is that, that he longs to hear your requests. I love that Newton's hymn. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with you. That's the undertone of Matthew 21. You have a perfect prophet, priest, and king. So avail yourself. Yes, ask for forgiveness, eternal forgiveness. If you want peace on earth, you cry out for that. Say, Lord Jesus, you know best, but, but this is really, really on my heart. This is really crushing me right now. This is strange relationship or this physical ailment or whatever it is that's crushing you. You say, Lord Jesus, you know best, but but I'm coming to you as my king, and I ask you as a, as a humble bond slave that loves you, please take care of this. And Jesus is saying, he hears you, and he's ready to take care of it. That's his conclusion to this whole text. So let us all come to the king. Large petitions with you bring, for his grace and power such, none can ever ask too much. Never asked him for this first one, this removing this load of sin. My burden I begin, Lord, remove this load of sin. Let thy blood for sinners spill. Set my conscience free from guilt. Would you ask him for forgiveness of all of your sin as your perfect priest? If you need rest today, come to him for rest. Lord, I come to thee for rest. Take possession of my rest. There thy blood walk right maintained without a rivalry. Maybe you're sad today. You need encouragement. You come to Christ for that. While I am a pilgrim here, let thy love my spirit cheer. As my guide, my guard, my friend, lead me to my journey's end. Let's come to the Lord. If you need to pray with someone, I'll be standing in the back. You know, Pastor Avery will close us in prayer. But let's all come to Jesus as our King. Large 
petition to the spring. 